0: hey guys Montel here and thanks so much for tuning in today to this let's be blunt with Montel and I'm so excited about having a guest on today because I kind of got an introduction to this guest through another person and that other person was Dr. Sue Sicily. a few weeks ago I had the fortune of being able to be invited to be a keynote speaker at a Uh, a small event in Honolulu that was sponsored by ANVETS looking into garnering more support for cannabis and our veterans, especially our veterans who are suffering from PTSD. And I have an opportunity to meet with the local VA uh, head who, you know, was open to us putting together a program where they might be willing to pilot an initiative to take a look at some research being done by really one of the biggest and greatest researchers in the country when it comes to cannabis, and that's Dr. Sue Cicely. And uh, my, Dr. Sue, along with uh, uh, that member of AMVADS and another organization, we kind of got together, sat down with the head of the VA hospital out there and had some conversations about whether or not they would be willing to help us pilot a study based on whole plant cannabis to see how it would affect some of the uh, participants who are there at the hospital who are suffering from PTSD. And uh, it was amazing, uh, the response and the conversation. And we also you know, uh, featured a movie talking about PTSD that was well-received. And, um, you know, uh, in those conversations with Dr. Sue, I was asking her, you know, just how are you able to do something that no one else has really been able to do? And that is to get the FDA to step up to the plate and say, yes, we will not necessarily sponsor, but we will at least allow you to do a research project on full spectrum cannabis cannabinoids and not using the cannabis that's been grown at the University of Mississippi. And here's part of the problem. You know, therapeutic research on cannabis has been stymied for many years in the United States due to the fact that it is scheduled a class schedule. It's classified as a Schedule I drug by the DEA, meaning that it is considered to have high potential for abuse and no evidence for medical benefits. And the threshold needed to demonstrate evidence for medical benefits is so hard to reach because the research is restricted, created a vicious cycle that has been hard to break. And conversely, NIDA has spent plenty of money over the last uh, years, the last 20, 30, 40 years, researching the potential harms of cannabis, but not researching the potential benefits. And my guest today is a lawyer who has dedicated a good portion of his career to breaking this cycle in support of one of the most well known researchers in cannabis in the country, and that's Dr. Sue Sicily. Matthew Zorn, welcome to Let's Be Blunt With Montel today, sir.
1: Hi, Montel. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Absolutely. It's really a pleasure to have you, sir. And I I guess what I'll do is start by giving some people, people, our viewers, a little bit of information about your background. I mean, where are you from? Where did you go to law school? What did you plan to do when you graduated from law school?
1: So um, I'm from the Washington, D.C. area. I grew up in uh, Montgomery County, Maryland. It's just north of the uh, D.C. border.
0: I'm um, a Baltimore boy.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, yep. got a little rivalry going on right now. So, so I grew up, grew up for eighteen years. Spent my entire uh, childhood in one place, and then um, went to college down in Atlanta. Spent four years there, and then went up to law school in New York City, uh, Columbia Law School. Um, I missed the cut of being a New Yorker. I spent like a little less than seven years there, so I didn't quite make it. Um, and I spent the beginning part of my career there working as a corporate corporate lawyer, um, doing litigation. So um, I started off representing uh, the banks um, and. Uh, honestly it was it was great training um I started working there in two thousand and twelve so we were still dealing with some of the fallout from the two thousand and eight financial crisis um and then I quickly moved over into patent litigation or intellectual property litigation um, i th- I actually liked it more because it was a little bit more morally neutral when you're representing the banks and the financial crisis there was a little bit of like you know representing the big corporations against the the little guy and and you know in my heart I've always kind of wanted to represent the little guy, the underdog. Um, it's not, not really fun representing the, uh, the powerful. It's not, it's not really much of a challenge. So then I got into patent litigation, which was a little bit more neutral. It was like corporations pissing on other corporations. And so, you know, it was at least a level playing field. Um, but I wasn't, I wasn't in, uh, marijuana litigation and drug policy. I wasn't even doing pharmaceutical stuff. I, I was nowhere near the stuff. And, um, what was kind of relevant to the story of what happened in New York was um, I had a personal experience. Um, uh, the person I was dating at the time um, was diagnosed with cancer and um, had chronic pain and was taking opiates, um, amounts of opiates that would kill just about anyone. Um, bone cancer is extremely painful, and so, um, and, and she passed away um, from the cancer. I'm
0: sorry to hear that. Really, really, sorry to hear that, my friend.
1: Oh, thank, thanks. So, um, and so I kind of moved, what I did was to move on. I, one of the things I did was I moved to Texas. Um, and that's where I am now um, and worked for a federal judge. I was still doing the patent litigation thing. Um, but I, I bring this all up because um, the way I end up getting into this is through Dr. Sisley. Um, and I'm happy happy to go into that and talk, talk about that because Sue basically is the one who gets me in and then.
0: Sure. Well, let's talk about it. Tell me how, how did you meet Dr. Cicely? How did that connection happen, and you know how did it go forward?
1: So sue has got an amazing story, and you know I'm not not here to tell her story, but it's just kind of incredible the way that she was fighting through bureaucracy. She got fired from her job trying to study just whole plant cannabis um, to treat PTSD or, frankly, to treat anything, and. She, she's basically caught up in this government bureaucracy. Her application, she had applied to grow her own marijuana. Um, she was very much a do-it-yourself type of person, and what she got, she, she tried the the cannabis from the University of Mississippi. Um, it was garbage. And so, hey, she said,
0: let's just let's just tell a little a little detail on that because the cannabis in University of Mississippi. A lot of people in this country aren't aware of the fact that what is it? Close to fifty something years now. The University of Mississippi has been growing cannabis for the federal government and dispensing it to start it off with 21 patients. Now it's down, I think, three or four that are still survivors. And every single month, the University of Mississippi ships out a canister of cannabis to these people through the mail that comes in a nice little can that allows them to literally take their cannabis anywhere in the United States, anywhere. They can carry it on an airplane. They can carry it, and they have a get-out-of-jail-free card that's been there since the beginning of this program. And Why? Because a lot of people also don't understand. I want to ask you this question because this is kind of where, you know, the rubber meets the road. We have a product that is considered a Schedule I drug. Yet at the same time, the federal government filed for and gave themselves their own patent back in 2002, extolling all the virtues of what they believe cannabis could do, especially CBD in what is called their abstract. So they pointed themselves. It's almost like, you know, you got one side of the government, there's two brain cells, one's punching the other inside the head because one brain cell is saying that it is an efficacious drug and we want to patent this and gave themselves a patent and they've extended it one time. And yet the other side of the the same government says, no, 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 it has no efficacious value whatsoever. So it's really ignorant. So there was a while where, well, there's a moratorium. The only... Place in the government or in the United States that was authorized to grow and dispense cannabis was the University of Mississippi until about a year ago, and then now I guess the DEA has been expanding that. But we'll go into that in detail after you continue your story about Doctor. Susicly. But I wanted to bring that up right there.
1: Yeah, but I, I don't want to ruin the thread. Um, what, what you're talking about this, it's you know the single patient IND. The way you could get into that program was effectively these patients had to apply one at a time for like a research protocol. So it was like a, a, this, it was like a makeshift research program. And it was started by a guy named Robert Randall. um, Under the
0: first, under the, under the first George Bush. Right.
1: Right. Well, actually the program started even before that, but that's when the program started to, to gel up. Yeah. So I actually got all the documents underlying that program, like all the INDs people had to fill out and and posted it to my, uh, my newsletter. So if anyone wants to go check it out, but I, I got all the paperwork on that stuff for for another case.
0: Bastard. And tell people part of the reason why the program stopped was because they got inundated with so many people and so many requests. And this was back. Oh man, I'm trying to think of the year. What year was it? Seventy. 70- it was like it was around
1: '91. In
0: fact, 91. I, among those papers
1: are the the letters back and forth ending the program. You're totally right. What happened was people had wasting syndrome from AIDS. They Correct. found out that that marijuana was the only thing that could help them. And rather than expand access, they decided, you know what, we're gonna we're gonna shut this down because we can't handle all these applications. So, I mean, you're totally right. It was there was such a demand for this because it worked. They didn't know why it worked. It wasn't proven in clinical trials. And and and, and that that is ultimately like why I'm so passionate about this, Montell. Is the people getting screwed about this are the people who need it, right?
0: I talk about this all the time, Matt. And I'm glad you say that because. You know, look, I have been an advocate for ensuring that patients have, effic- have, have access to efficacious medication. That has been my sole mission since almost 2000. And, but I have expanded that to think that in some states that have gone ahead and decided to move towards an adult use category, it was making it easier for the patient to go in and have access. So I'm okay with that. I'm just, you know, but a lot of people who have been in this industry, and this is what really pisses me off about our industry, is that they kind of have thrown the patient under the bus. If you look back to 91 and 92, there were people being dragged out of their homes in Northern California, you know, on gurneys, you know, on IVs, just because they had one or two plants being grown in their backyard, because they felt not only for HIV but for a myriad of other illnesses, we were starting to prove the fact that cannabis had a significant impact. And what's so ridiculous, and I'm sure that you have the paperwork somewhere, is at the same time that our government did this, they were turning around and funding Dr. Meshulam in Israel to validate their patent. Yep. And even Nida gave him, him their biggest award. I'm like, I'm shocked when, you know, we don't, that's one of the things that I also am pissed off about this industry with. And I'm sorry, I'm, a, I'm just using you as, as my sounding board. but
1: I, I don't uh, represent the industry, so, so no. go on, yeah.
0: But I mean, I'm pissed off the industry because the industry doesn't do enough to educate the consumer and educate the masses. You know, we, we, we do a cursory, you know, brush over. Yeah, this was made illegal in 1937 by the Marijuana Tax Act. Stop the stupid. Let's talk about the bullshit that has happened since 1937 and continues to happen. And even happening today where we have, you know, what is it, 38 states in the District of Columbia that have some form of legal cannabis right now. But there are almost just as many people being arrested today as were arrested, you know, 15 years ago. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Do you want to know how to become a
1: social media influencer, how to grow an online business, how to make money from your laptop and build a profitable online company? Well, I'm going to show you how in my podcast, Living the Red Life. Yeah, and 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 Montel, it's actually to me it's shocking, right? Because because I, I single out three groups of people right now, um, the, the people that need this most or need this to end most, and that's I would say one, I would say the like, terminally ill, and this is in no particular order, by the way, terminally mm-hmm. ill. Two, the, the number of veterans using marijuana to treat symptoms as opposed to opioids, right? Like it, it, as an alternative to what what has been labeled like the most dangerous epidemic in America right now
0: that people won't even admit today. There are more people dying today than we're dying before we started talking about COVID, but we kind of left that behind. We don't even bring it up anymore.
1: Exactly. Right. And, and, and I think, uh, you know, cannabis is an alternative to the opioid epidemic. There's already research out there on that. So we don't, we don't need to tread all ground. And then the third is r- racism. Like it, it, it's still, it's still a war on black and brown people. It was in the seventies and it has been. and, and,
0: I have, I have said I've said this now for years. This is nothing more than a continuation. When slavery was overturned, this was used in 1937 as a re-enslavement tool. If we can't put them in chains in the field, let's put them in chains in buildings called jails. So that's what they were using. They ran around the country and tried to lock up everybody, black, black and brown, that was using forgot all the cowboys that were out there in the West that were smoking the hell out of this. All the other people that were smoking all of this, they just continue to. And we look at it right now and even till today, I think that the numbers are somewhere around 65 to 70 percent of all people incarcerated for any form medical or any form of marijuana violation are people of color.
1: That, that, that's right. And and there's no there, there, I don't I refuse to believe there's a coincidence with the Civil Rights Act getting passed in the mid 60s. And then the, the Modern Controlled Substances Act passed a few years later. I mean, the drug war basically replaced a lot of uh, what we, we took apart, some racial paradigms and built up this this other Paradigm in in the the context of of drugs, and so the the reason I'm mentioning this, other than it being a, a blatant injustice, is, you know, it's interesting. You're talking about the industry, right? I, I I I long for the day that the industry steps up and does something absolutely tangible to help out any of these groups of people, like dr- drug possession, decriminalizing drug possession. Did you know that's still a federal crime to smoke a joint on your couch? That's a federal crime, right? Like.
0: And we have an industry that just made $25 billion last year. I mean, I want people to understand. And I'm so glad that you even brought that up, my friend. It's like, you know, this industry keeps whining. I keep going to conventions and keep going to to B2B, you know, conferences. And everybody's whining like, hey, it ain't federal government. Well, I keep saying, damn it. Well, why don't you act a little bit like pharma? And, you know, pharma got this 20 years ago. They decided when they created themselves that everybody has to throw in some money and we're all going to go down there and grease the, the palms of the assholes that are fighting us. Next thing you know, farmer runs America.
1: That's that's right. And I'm starting to get convinced that, that the industry actually doesn't want things to change. And we can certainly talk about that, but I'll, I'll just loop back to like me, like what we're talking about. Right. So I, I see Dr. Sicily, and I see someone who is in it for all the right reasons, right? She wants to research she wants to help the vets out she wants to prove that this stuff is safe that this stuff is effective and, and and what's important about this story right is the the pretext i call it the pretext the excuse for not rescheduling marijuana from a schedule 1 drug down is that nobody has ever proven it to be safe and effective in an FDA type clinical trial right and that's and you'll hear that today you'll hear that from the president on down well we can't do anything because the science isn't there yet i mean I say BS. The science is already there. I don't need a double-blind placebo trial to show me that this stuff works.
0: You know, and I, I, I've i said, I'm like you, my friend. Look, I mean, you know, there are enough, you know, it's anecdotal when it's one, two, or three. When it's thousands, that's no longer an anecdote. I don't need to 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 pay someone to fill out papers the way some clown in Washington, D.C. wants them filled out to validate the fact that we have now done enough research. There is over 35,000 peer-reviewed published documents have been put out on cannabis in the last 10 years. 3,500 plus last year, and there's going to be probably another 3,500 this year. How much more research do you need? That's the most researched drug on the planet. It's more research than aspirin. And majority of people in this country have a bottle of aspirin in their medicine cabinet, and if their kid got a hold of it, they would be dead on the kitchen floor by the time you got an ambulance to the house if they ate you know, more than 15 of them. So, And when you look at the amount of research done on aspirin, it probably isn't more than about a thousand research papers in the last 30 years. So I I find this, it's just egregiously offensive, but go right ahead. I'm sorry. I got to throw in those little little tidbits. No, no.
1: I mean, and cannabis, by the way, is probably safer than aspirin. So, um, so, so, yeah. So, but, but, so, and, and, and here comes Dr. Sisley and she's like, I am trying to do everything that the government is asking me to do, right? despite the fact that whether or not it's reasonable or not that we have to do this. She's like, I'm trying to do it. I'm submitting my application. And it's, it's pending at the, at the DEA. It's sitting on their desk. And by pending, I mean, it hasn't been processed, right? Then even I mean, say sitting
0: in somebody's inbox.
1: Yeah. It's, it's sitting on someone's inbox and it hasn't even been read for two years for two years. And I'm sitting, so, so I meet her at South by Southwest in 2018 in Austin, Texas. I decide, not to go to see Dr. Cicely, just to go to the music festival and and all sorts of other stuff. And I go and I see her on the program, and I'm just kind of curious or whatnot. Now I had studied drug drug policy in law school; I wasn't I wasn't unfamiliar with it, but I wasn't a practicing in this area. And I see Dr. Cicely speak, and I you know I just it's that that rebel streak in me, or just kind of like the fuck the man type type deal. that I'm like, this is this is bullshit. Like I have I have seen so much bullshit in my career, and I was like this is bullshit. So I decide, I I just walk up to her afterwards and I say, you know what? I I don't know if I can do this. I work at a pretty conservative law firm, like, you know, but I want to see if I can take your case pro bono, right? I want to see if I can get them to process your application. Because here's the thing, Montel, like, whether or not they're, this is like a trick of, of federal agencies. It's not just DEA, it's kind of the entire federal government, right? When they have a difficult decision, they don't make a decision. They just hold take it down the road, right? right. They, they, they don't want to be accountable for this, right? So it's like, if you're going to say no to Dr. Cicely, just say no. And then she can take an appeal and she can judicially, but they weren't doing that. They were holding her in administrative purgatory. And so I, I took that back to a colleague of mine who, who specializes in administrative laws, His name is Shane Pennington. And I was like, Hey, like, is there anything here? And we looked at it together and we thought we had something and we, put together uh, it's called a mandamus action, but for lack of a better term, it's just a lawsuit against the DEA saying, you know, process this damn application. It's been sitting there for two and a half years do something with it. Um, and we filed that and about, you know, we put together the facts. We told Dr. Sisley's story. It's an amazing story. And then we said, look, th- th- this is unlawful. And about six, six to eight weeks after we filed that, the well, no, it was about a month after we filed that the DC, the DC Circuit Court of Appeals, this is like the second highest court in the country sitting in DC, said, You need to answer this, DEA. Like tell us what's going on. And then about a, a few weeks after that, they didn't answer it. Uh the the attorney general, they, they had like cannabis week down in DC. So they processed all of the applications. There were 30 of them that were all pending, including Dr. Sisley's. And then they had like an entire week devoted to how You know cannabis the surgeon general went up and said something i think the president at that time trump said something i mean it was kind of it was this rollout and this was just like part of cannabis week in august it was august of 2019. so if you go back and google and you start searching cannabis during that time period you'll see all sorts of other stuff and you know this made headlines and all sorts of stuff so that, that was the first like project i took on against the dea uh basically working on an application that had been stalled out um, wasn't the last, and we did a couple more lawsuits for Dr. Sisley. but that, that was how I got into this. Um,
0: and did the, did they approve it during that week?
1: No, it took it took another eighteen months, and we filed two more lawsuits. Um, we filed one, one, one. We filed the next lawsuit. We filed um, was a complaint. It was like a, a district court. It was like a freedom of information act lawsuit. And the base and the basically what we wanted was there was this like secret memo within the government which explained why this whole program had been stalled out by Attorney General Sessions, friends to cannabis lovers everywhere, being sarcastic, of course. And and, and what had happened was he basically had the Department of Justice write a memo explaining why they couldn't go forward with this program to allow other people to grow cannabis, why they had to have this monopoly of, of garbage cannabis from the University of Mississippi. And we we kind of guessed at its existence like like we kind of like had this like puzzle piece of like trying to figure out hey what the hell was going on here
0: and, and it's like the Higgs boson you knew it existed but you got to find it
1: exactly and and we kind of were shooting a little bit off the hip in the dark a little bit because we didn't have anything concretely that say, "Hey, there's this 20-page memo sitting at the Department of Justice explaining why this whole thing got shut down."
0: But but you also but you also did see you know, Sessions on news. Marijuana and didn't have any medical responsibility whatsoever. I remember
1: that. A- but what the craziest thing was is there were there were officials from DEA, including Sessions, who the Attorney General leads DEA, like Congress was like. Asking these folks, like, hey, what's going on with your candidate? Like, what's going on with this? Like, you had announced in 2016 that you were going to approve other people to grow. And you got all these applications. What, what are you doing with them? And, and there were a number of officials who testified to Congress of, like that they were actually working through these. And this memo shows they weren't. The whole program was shut down. And so that that's what that was the craziest thing about it was, you know, you had senators writing letters to DEA and none of them could get any responses out of them. And honestly, Montel, look, there are a lot of things I would hang on DEA's shoulder. This wasn't one of them. This was Jeff Sessions. This was the Department of Justice. This was like the agency above DEA. They shut it all down. I've actually never really seen anything from DEA of recent memory, which would suggest they are opposed to this particular program of like, growing cannabis not in recent memory obviously you go back far enough and yeah it, it's bad but up to 2016 forward this was really the department of justice this was like jeff sessions shutting down this program and so you know dr Sisley, she's like the perfect plaintiff right she's like she's out to to just research this she's got the the best of intentions she's not part of the industry and she helped us take take it all apart There's there's a good article it's on nbc news it's called one doctor versus the DEA. And that kind of tells you some of the story here. It includes kind of the legal stuff and Dr. Sisley and really what this battle is all about. And you know, if anyone wants to read up on it, that's, that's what I would go look at. It'll tell you, tell you all you need to know.
0: So now jumpstart to today. She did finally get approved to be able to do this, right?
1: Yeah, she, she's, she's growing some pot um, and some good stuff like not Mississippi stuff. So she got approved in, was it the summer of, I want to say it was the summer of 2021. She got approved and she's one of like six people, folks that got approved from the DEA. And, and then the DEA
0: the even expanded it a little bit to allow people in California to actually purchase cannabis. Well, they're allowing people to, to use cannabis purchased at dispensaries for testing, right? Uh. I'm not sure about that. I'm, I'm not sure about that, actually.
1: Okay. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I know that there's like now there's like a transportation issue, like there's some transportation bill where they want to study real world cannabis. This has been another thing, by the way, that I've kind of gotten on and, and about is why are not we testing the stuff people are actually using? I mean, it's great that we now don't have the Mississippi, right? But like, you know, if you're concerned about safety, right? Like, let's just say you're concerned about safety. Why, why wouldn't you study the stuff that people are using from the dispensary? Because we have this weird patch of federal law, which says that researchers, they're putting their licenses in jeopardy if they just go and pick up something that everybody else can get. I mean, isn't that, isn't that crazy that this stuff, right. that it's it's more inaccessible to researchers than it is to actual patients. consumers.
0: And yeah. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And so, I mean, just, just that process alone, what else did you observe I mean, because because this is really what's the the Trojan horse behind what we believe to be this idea that the federal government is moving towards some sort of change in in you know, status and things. But I really don't believe they are in any way, shape or form, especially this current administration that's going to lie to us again when they're up for reelection and say, we're going to do something on cannabis in the first hundred days like they lied the last time because they just want to get the vote.
1: Yeah. I mean, th- th- I, this is one thing about this administration that's been profoundly disappointing. And, and I actually went through collecting on YouTube. The thing that's been disappointing for me the most, and, and I got into this because of patience. And I, I really think patients need to be first about all this. And we, did, we need to stop losing that. But a close second uh, is what I said is the kind of the, the racist component to this. And that would be the easiest thing to do, right? A clemency of like letting people out. Nothing. And, and I, I couldn't count the number of times. There's, there's this great clip in the presidential debates where Cory Booker like puts Joe Biden on the spot at one of the debates and says, like, what are you doing, man? Like the whole world has, has passed you by. And Joe Biden gets up there and he says, like, he is going to decriminalize this. He is going to let people out. What happened to that? I mean, right. th- this is this is like low hanging fruit, right? We, we don't have to make this prescription medicine to let people out of nonviolent offenders uh, out of jail like the, and, and nothing has happened. And don't don't tell me that they can't do it. Don't tell. They have other priorities like COVID and everything. I mean, tell that to the people in jail, right? Like, what, but even COVID?
0: even when it comes to COVID, I mean, you know, it's really so ridiculous that there have been. I, I don't. I, I I'm running out of time to read the number of articles out there right now that show clearly that cannabinoids have an impact on the SARS virus ability to you know uh, affect the spike protein, which is really gives it. The cannabinoids, the ability to block the COVID virus from entering your cells. Now, if we did, you know, I don't know what the fuck, what the hell they call it, warp speed, whatever it was, Project Warp Speed, and came up with all these bullshit vaccines that have not worked. Because honestly, I got, I got double vaccinated, and right about a month and a half later, boom, I get hit with COVID. Really? Okay, now I'm quadruple valid, you know, uh, vaccinated, and I'm, you know. So I'm starting to travel a little bit more now, I'm concerned every time I go, I'm still putting a mask on when I get on an airplane. I'm still wearing a mask through the airport because I don't believe that I really have the protection. Now, what I'm doing is sitting right there on my, you know, bathroom counter is a bottle of CBD that I'm hitting every single day, you know, and I make sure and I hit my pen every single day to make sure I have enough cannabinoids in my body because I believe that that's really what's going to help stop this scourge.
1: Yeah. I mean, look, I'm I'm not a scientist, so I don't know. Here, here's what I do know. I, I know a few things. I know there's a, there's an unbelievable amount of arrogance from the federal government that they think that they know what's best. Um, and, and I don't know, if it, and you can say this across the board, and I think that's part of the problem driving driving this cannabis issue, right? Like you've got 38 states or whatever that have decided, you know what, we're going to make this medically available and this is a sh- what's what's holding this all together i mean i don't want to get like super legal but like it's a sham right oh,
0: it's I mean, a shit show you were going to say that but it is a shit show
1: it, yeah yeah i mean it it is and and it's a sham because the, the controlled substances act says to be in schedule 1 there's to be no currently accepted medical use in treatment in the united states and everyone should like take that phrase and like think about what do you think it what do you think that means to you? No currently accepted medical use. Because I'll tell you what it means to the federal government. It means there are no studies that show safe, no well controlled FDA double blind placebo clinical trials showing safety efficacy. There isn't a consent like a consensus among trained pharmacologists. Like there's like it's like a five factor test that nobody in their right mind would ever come up with. But it's like what the federal government created to basically it it was actually tailor made to keep cannabis out of like in schedule one. So they so so nobody in their right mind would ever think that cannabis doesn't have an accepted medical use and treatment in the United States because you look around and everyone is using it in medical treatment. And some states say say no. But remember, it's no currently accepted medical use. That doesn't mean that means if there's a pocket of people who don't want it accepted, that's fine as long as, you know. If there's a good sizable number of people. So this, this is, this is basically a I would call it a fraud on the American public. That, that's what I would say. It's a fraud on the American public where the the this it's through administrative law, they've kind of like rigged the deck. So it's impossible to prove this stuff is safe and efficacious through not letting people study the weed that that people are smoking. Through, you know, you can't patent this stuff, right? So what pharmaceutical company is gonna invest money. Doing phase three clinical trials, which cost hundreds
0: of millions of dollars. And especially since they know that the federal government owns a patent. So if they validate what their patent says, and the federal government could step in and say, You're infringing on my patent, give me my product. That that's yes, yes. And and, and that's 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 kind of what's the craziest
1: thing about this, right? Is it, it's caught, it's it's caught in this like weird space where no, nobody even really want, none of these companies in the industry actually want to research it, right? And, and that to me is, there's no, there's no, and I you know, part of me doesn't blame them, right? There's no financial incentive. It's like, well, what's in this for us, right? Like, what if, and look, if someone actually did put in the money and got an FDA approved medication, here's what's in it for you. You get something that insurance is going to pay for, right? And that's a big thing. We saw that with Epidiolex, right? Like, you're right. talking about your CBD that's out there, but- Epidiolex is a wonderfully successful drug, despite the fact that you can still get CBD because they've got insurance coverage for it. So I'm convinced that there is a lot of money out there for some company that, that wants to do this, but the industry doesn't, doesn't seem to want to do it because I think they just want the cash now. They're, they're just not thinking in the future on this stuff.
0: Everybody's and, trying to figure out how to buy their boat or buy yeah, their profit rather than how to move the industry forward.
1: It's it's a get it's get rich quick type stuff. and And that to me is, you know, That that is why I'm I'm still fighting this fight, right? It's an unfair game. It's an unfair
0: game. But but then why? Okay, I understand. I do. I get it. The greed in the industry, and I get that. But what what is there to stop the federal government from changing its mind? I mean, shit, we just changed our mind on fucking Roe versus Wade. Excuse me. If we can change our mind on something that that powerful, why can't we just say, oh, we screwed up. Eh, We should have allowed this. You know. So okay. Let's just move on. Let me have the tax dollars and move on.
1: But I think it's like a lot of old habits. I think a lot of it is old habits die hard. I mean, you had like the, the people holding the levers of power today, right? Are people who grew up, like there is the Nixon era. And that's when the war on drugs was was launched. But there's this wonderful graph showing the amount of people imprisoned by the war on drugs. And you start with like the Nixon administration. because And people
0: don't understand how racist Richard Nixon really was. How many times he used the N word in the White House. How many times he literally extolled and actually helped to promote, you know, the disbursement of you know, crack in uh, uh, communities of color. I mean, you know, people. we've not even begun to look at how racist those early, that early war against drugs was. It had not, it, We literally had a government that was allowing it to be brought into the United States, allowing it to be dispensed in cities so that they could increase the number of arrests. And help feed the industrial prison complex.
1: Well, and that's what I was going to get at, because as bad as Nixon was and all that, and everything you just said is completely correct. You look at the amount of people in prison, and then all of a sudden, you know, Nancy Reagan and the Reagan administration on the war, the war on drugs just say no. It just spikes, right? It goes up through the roof. So Nixon started the war on drugs, but Reagan escalated. Now, think about the people in government today, right? Reagan Which, not
0: only escalated, but Reagan also put Ollie North on you know uh, on the payroll and send his ass down there to trade weapons for drugs and made sure that those drugs got into the black community so that they knew that they would be able to arrest more black and Hispanic kids to put them in jail to feed that industrial political uh, uh, prison complex. Sorry, hey, go ahead. No, no,
1: and, that, and that, that's all super important, right? Because now think of the people holding all the levers of power today. I mean, you can look at the president, Joe Biden. What, when was he a senator? He started, he starts right at the beginning of the war on drugs, his entire career. He is the lead Democrat on the war on drugs forever, basically. I mean, him and uh, Strom Thurman were like on the, the committee in Congress coming up with legislation to make drug laws tougher. Right. So th- these. So, so the, to answer your question, oh, it's really hard to change people's minds. It's just really when, when people have spent their entire life doing one thing one way, it's really tough to suggest to them you could have been wrong about all this stuff. Like your life's work is probably wrong. I mean, can you imagine that if someone came up to you, like towards the end of your life saying everything you did is built on like all of these, like, and it's hard. It's like you're into not, like, I don't, so, so it's like, I don't think Joe, I don't think the president is like a bad person. I just think he has a fundamentally wrong belief about cannabis and I think it's really hard to shake him, but he's not the only one, right? There, there's an entire complex of people who are invested in a, both a financial, but also in a personal, like ego type of way of like the, everything they accomplished or not everything, but like a lot of the things they accomplished were to, were under the notion that marijuana is bad. Or we could talk about, you know, one of the things that you now is also like psychedelic. Like there are a lot of people who are convinced they are right on this. I don't know if I'm right or wrong. I, I don't know. Like, but I do know that like, the science needs to happen, and I know the policy hasn't worked, right? So I, I, I'm not going to say cannabis can treat everything. It can clearly treat some things. You don't need to come to me and, and say like chemotherapy induced nausea, like that is beyond dispute. But yeah,
0: you, don't, you don't have to say it. You don't have to say it's a miracle drug and it will hold promise for every illness on the planet, but you do have to recognize what we have now observed beyond anecdote. We know for a fact that it helped with wasting disease. We know for a fact that it helped in some ways when it comes to chemotherapy induced, not only brain fog, but also induced nausea. We know for a fact that it helped. Uh, uh, We know now, uh, looking from the published information that's out there, there's data out there right now that came out in February of this year that even proves that cannabinoids have a profound effect on certain types of cancer. Then again, stopping them from being able to replicate And if, in fact, we continue to do the research, we're going to find that I think that when it comes to neurological disease, um, we're going to find that it has a really good efficacious effect in actually helping to promote recruitment of new brain cells and those kinds of things. So you're right. We don't have to pick one. We just have to say that we know that it works.
1: Yeah. And and the thing that I'm kind of from a legal perspective, the thing that I'm sort of tangled up with here, both with Dr. Sisley and generally, and kind of the concept that I'm, I'm really struggling with is, you know, we, it, it, it's a fine balance here, right? But like, I don't like the federal government telling me what is science. I just, I, I don't, I don't trust it. I, I can't, you know, the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, right? And I could go on, like we could spend another hour with, talking about this, but like it is the most powerful regulatory agency in the world. And it is funded by pharma. 50% of the money it gets is from pharma. That is unbelievable to me. And so part of what we're fighting for, what I was fighting for with Dr. Sicily towards the end was there's no currently accepted medical use. It's like why does the federal government get to get to tell me and the states and my democratically re- elected re- representatives at a state level what is an accepted medical use? Like this, this was something that was traditionally done at the state level forever. And then the FDA came along and the FDA is, is taking, so, you know, I, I don't want to delve too much into this, but there's going to be this interesting debate now with, uh, road versus Wade overturn. overturned. The, the way the Biden administration appears to be dealing with this is they're, they're going to try to something with the abortion pill approved by the FDA. They're going to say, well, the FDA has approved this. So the state can't restrict access and do a whole bunch of other stuff. And I I kind of think of this from like a cannabis standpoint of like, wait, wait, wait. So the government can tell the States that they have to allow something. But when the States have decided they want to allow something, the federal government can also tell them you can't allow it It, it, to me. It's just like, it's so um, I just, I'm really uneasy. and look, I'm a I I'm actually a vaccine believer, but I was really troubled by the fact that one day, you know, one day they would say one thing about COVID, another day they would say another thing, and then they would silence everyone who would say something differently. Like people should be like that's what I'm 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 kind of like and that's as a lawyer, like I'm kind of bothered when I see top-down science, right? The science should be done by people like Dr. Sisley by other researchers and kind of what I'm doing now, I'm involved in other DA proceedings. Is I'm trying to protect the scientists, right? I, I mean, look, I'll get paid by the industry and I'll, I'll uh, on a, like, on a couple matters, matters, but, but really my interest in this is protecting the scientists who actually want to figure out the answers independent of the federal government. They want to do independent, rigorous science and give us a capital T truth. And that's what the people deserve.
0: Absolutely. So, I mean, I, 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 this is the million-dollar question, but you know, how do we fix this? Yeah,
1: I mean, I think look, from a there's a political problem with cannabis, right? It's not urgent for a lot of people. It's not, you know, Roe versus Wade gets overturned, and all of a sudden, it's the most urgent issue in America. And I'm not going to take a position on that. I think it's it's something a paradigm just got completely flipped and overturned, and you know, we we should probably deal with that. But why, why we need to ask ourselves, we need to figure out a way to make cannabis urgent or like an urgent matter, like an issue that people vote on the ballot. This is something that I care about because we have an issue that medicinal cannabis over ninety percent of adults in America, but it is not a voting issue right? people aren 't voting based on it like they won 't say, "I am not going to vote for you because you are not doing enough to help patients to help vets to to end this silly war on on racial socioeconomic grounds like that the moment people start to make the, their vote count in this department that's when the politicians are going to do something when they think that their job is in jeopardy because they're really not doing enough um i, I can work in the courts all day long and i could tell you all about that but let me tell you federal judges they're not the, they're, they're not getting there like i said these are people that are grew up as part of these paradigms they're formal federal prosecutors. And so it's just kind of difficult to convince the courts to do something. It's going to have to be the people making it urgent for their elected representatives doing the kind of stuff that effective organizations do. Right. I mean, I don't want to drone on with my answer here, but like, no. but like like, and it's kind of it's trite. But, but think of like someone like Thurgood Marshall and the NAACP and how how they act like the culmination of that is the Civil Rights Act of 1965. But thurgood marshall spent almost 30 years getting to that point right of filing lawsuits showing how unjust the system is right and and bringing bringing it to the doorstep of people showing like you can't get like there were a ton of lawsuits he filed he took like 14 or something up to the supreme court and then there are all the other lawsuits nobody ever talks about that's what i mean by creating urgency right like we have to like pound the pavement and make this an issue whether it's in the media whether it's it, like, like you, like what you're doing here and, and we have to be focused on the message. Right. And I've always thought the message are the scientists, the patients, the, the, the racist, but the racism and, and st- like, honestly, like the rec market, like I support it. Cause it helps, like you said, like it helps people get access to med. If it's helping people get access to medicine or, whatever. but, but the, but the, at the end of the day, like I, the industry isn't like it's going to be so, has to be someone other than the industry. like the industry is not doing this. they 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 say they care, but look look, actions speak louder than words. What are they actually doing today? Like what kind of money are they putting in to file lawsuits to change this, right? The only lawsuit I've heard about in recent memory was or re- recent the past few months is they want to sue to get their their tax benefits back. Think about that. Right. They're not willing to put money out to help because and here's why it's in their interest this is my pitch to them if, if any of them are listening right the way that you win this is you have to take this whole system apart and you just said you Montel, you said it right before there's an entire complex and it's built on things like simple possession real tiny things but it's a house of cards built on built on these like things that it's the glue that holds all of this together it might not be clear why helping out black and brown people from not getting arrested, why it, it might not help be clear why that helps your bottom line, but here's how it helps your bottom line. It takes the entire system apart, right? That whole system is dependent on, you know, being able, you know, you know why it's, a, it's unlawful. Like, and, and I know this cause I've read like the legislate the law history of how this has got. Do you know why the federal government, why it's illegal to smoke a joint on your couch? Because, why? because, they wanted to have they they were finding it difficult to arrest people higher up on the drug dealing chain, so they needed something to get someone at the very bottom to flip on the person up top so they created a crime called possession because it was really easy to prove all you had to do was show, hey, this person's got a drug on them and then they could take that use that to flip on the person above them that's actually like this this is a fact like this is written down on paper um that that's like do you need me to say anything else about this like So 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 that's that's what I'm saying. Like we need to get like if you want to file lawsuits like you like be righteous, like fight for the stuff that is going to actually help people because that same stuff that helps people is hurting this industrial complex on the other side. Like there's a reason they're doing it. It's it's because it's part of the system. So that that's what I would say is, you know, people need to not only tell their representatives, but tell these companies like. Why are you not helping people out? Like, I don't give half a crap that you like, you know, that, that you have like one or two members of your board who are diverse. What are you doing to help the actual people on the ground who are facing this stuff? And if they don't have a convincing a- answer, that should tell you everything.
0: And it's starting to tell people everything because, I mean, you know, I, I really started to buy advocacy almost 21 years ago. And, and, you know, I'm looking at we're in the same place we're in 21 years ago still. You know, we got a vice president who made sure that while her tenure as, as attorney general, there were more people incarcerated in her state than before her and for minor possession violations. And a president who still thinks because of his own family, you know, issues with drugs, that this is some sort of gateway drug, which is, is and no one's willing to educate him. And I think that's part of the biggest problem with our industry is that we've done a really piss poor job of education.
1: Oh, 100%. And right. And, and the, the, and I know what you were talking about with respect to the, you know, the president and his family, and I would add two things to that, right? Which is being addicted to one class of drugs doesn't like translate to another. Like these are all different, right? Cannabis is not heroin. Like cannabis is not opiates. Cannabis is not cocaine. So that's one thing of education, right? We gotta, we gotta separate this up. The gateway stuff, I think people don't buy that anymore, but we gotta like, Moses well, and you
0: know freaky. you say they don't buy that but there are still i'm swear to you i had a conversation with somebody you know less than four weeks ago that said well you know i still think that cannabis is i think they're just uh, this is all hype but i think marijuana is really a gateway drug because people who use marijuana end up using stronger drugs i said are, are you fucking crazy i mean yeah, yeah.
1: there's no science there's no science to that no i mean you know some people that you know you can't go that's the other thing you can't change everyone's mind and I'll bring something into with the psychedelics just really quickly. Um, you know, the, the thing that changes people's minds on psychedelics is typically someone in their circle. Sometimes it's themselves. Sometimes someone in their circle is just like unable to get relief from anything. And then a psychedelic like comes along and all of a sudden they're transformed. But you see the same thing with cannabis, right? It's like, Hey, they're on, someone's on opiates. They're just a mess. They, they can't shit. And, and they have, they, they have to get off of it and they start cannabis. And so it's like, the problem I'm having with this Montel, though, is like, think about it. Like, so there's so many stories like that out there. Like there's something else going on. Like we, we're past that point. Right. That's why 90 something percent of people support this stuff is there is no doubt among the people of this country that this stuff works. Um, so, you know, it's really like it's really like the, the people holding all the levers of power. The other thing about the president's family is I believe in it. Hunter Biden's autobiography or whatever, he talks about how having a psychedelic experience was like got him off drugs for like a year or something. I think that's in it, right? Is like having this experience. So it's like, you know, are like, can, can't we like have an honest conversation that drugs aren't bad? They're not good either. They're just, they're kind of tools. They're good in some situations, they're bad in others. I mean, that's how we view all other drugs. Why should cannabis be viewed any differently? Frankly, why should, you know, cocaine is a prescription drug.
0: Right, people don't don't even know that it's not a Schedule One drug. Cocaine is not a Schedule One drug. Why is Schedule Two?
1: Schedule Two, nor is meth. PCP, by the way, is a Schedule Two drug and has no accepted, has no medical use. So, so it's like, first of all, cannabis doesn't have to be in Schedule One. You could just put it in Schedule Two, allowing some people to do some research on it. But yeah, cocaine, meth, these are Schedule Two drugs. Morphine, like you know, morphine is a useful drug in the hospital. It's also way more dangerous than cannabis. So. You know, I I don't hold out hope that we're going to change our drug regulation system because it's all completely ass backwards. But like, you know, we need to like, I I, I actually don't have any answers. I mean, what I do is I sue the government. Um, I, I sue them. I sue them because they are getting in the way of science. I sue them when they get in the way of, you know, I have one case where the DEA, I kid you not, like I have a client who's a terminally ill patient who wants access to psilocybin under the right to try laws. And we wrote to the DEA and asked them, hey, like, can we get access to this under the right to try laws? And they sent this really kind of vague letter saying, well, we don't have authority to do it. We went to the, the court of appeals. We asked the court, we said, okay, tell them that they do have the authority to do this. And we got dismissed for like technical jurisdiction reasons. And so we tried to fix The court identified like a bunch of problems and we tried to fix that and we filed this like petition to the DEA that was like a clear petition saying we want you to say yes or we want you to say no and what did the DEA do they sent us a letter back saying our decision hadn't changed from the last time that you went up to the court so they argued to the court that they didn't make a decision to get the whole thing dismissed and then when we actually wrote up something so this is, and, and again, my clients are dying. Like, we can't even get the courtesy of a yes or a no out of our government. Um, and I, I mean, it's kind of cowardly, right? Like, just, just say yes or no.
0: But do you think, do you think by making the public more aware of this, that might start to change some minds? yeah i mean i i think it'll change some
1: minds I, I you know i don't know i mean i think what i think the problem is a lot of people are under the impression that there is a just and fair process to all of this that it is like that 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 there are good reasons for marijuana being in schedule one or that and, and you know it's honestly i'm not sure it's it's like all dea's fault like this problem is bigger than dea it's like this entire complex and i think I just think people are laboring under, like at least in government, are la- like laboring under the impression that, like, there's actually a process that is reliable, that is based on science, and it's not. Like, it's just it's kind of just based on people like don't want to change, they don't want the status quo to change. So, I mean, again, I, I hate to go back to sort of the Thurgood Marshall or the Ruth Bader Ginsburg. You can choose her too, but like, how do you get people to change things? You have to create a sense of urgency people need to think that that they're that things are going to blow up right people aren't going to do anything unless you actually are threatening to them right and i just don't see anyone in the cannabis industry doing anything to actually threaten the, the federal government to threaten their their way of life so you have to think creatively right like you know think think of ways that if you were to actually win a lawsuit for example think think of that right that it would actually disturb their way of life right it would be like me threatening to take away like your, your phone or something i don't know if you use your phone a lot but like sure. you know just just because i want to get your attention right we don't even have their attention right now so right. you have to threaten to do something that's going to put you in the room because here's what i know i know that this this the biden administration they don't have anyone in the white house who's focused on cannabis policy right see our first step means to be how do you get someone in that room to even just talk about cannabis policy and you have to get their attention and and it is my belief that the way you do that. Is sometimes by by you have to be a little bit threatened. They have to be afraid of you. It's it's you know what was it Machiavelli or someone is like I want to be feared, right. not loved. Right. And nobody fears us. Nobody fears nobody fears this industry.
0: Nobody well, especially talks. as they've seen the industry, the way the industry performs itself, and the way the industry projects itself, because it does look like just a bunch of thugs trying to make money.
1: It's dysfunctional.
0: It's, in- it's dysfunctional. I
1: mean, I'm not a huge big pharma fan um i'll defend them when i think they deserve defending i think they catch a lot of unfair shit but but, and i think there are a lot of bad things to farm i mean they're actually like a lot of other industries but here's the thing right it's like do i hate the player or hate the game i mean big pharma they're just good they're fucking good at what they do like why can't cannabis do that because here's here's what pharma realized that, that cannabis hasn't seemed to realize pharma realized we're better off if we all work together and we don't step on each other's toes like a bunch of like high schoolers or whatever, like you know, whatnot. I, I think the cannabis, they're playing like an apex predator game, right? They're they're trying the, the industry is like they're all jockeying for for they want to be number one. So they get the sweetest deal from Philip Morris or some other company in a buyout, right? Um and so, you know, when you play like that, like they're all stepping on each other's toes. They can't agree on anything or whatnot. Like pharma, they realize from that that their best bet was they all sit down at a table, they have a concerted strategy. And they work and, and they work together. And you know, if the industry ever managed to do that, then I think that, that they could do that. But there's other, there's one other point. There's one other point that's really different between pharma and cannabis. See the problem we, we talk about all the money cannabis has, and they have the money to do some of the stuff. But this like tax issue of like they had, like the cannabis, they don't have the fat margins that other businesses have. So they have less money floating around. And you're right, Montel, like. You go down like these these industries. They shower lobbyists to be able to to lobby uh, congressmen. And you know it's not all crooked, by the way. Like it, it is a product of think of all of the different things that Congress these congress members, these senators, like all the different agenda items. They're they're busy people. They have staff, staff people who are young who don't know. Like the lobbyists are legitimately helping them out. Like they don't the, the these folks don't have the time to. To put to draft this legislation. They don't have time to analyze everything. So wh- why isn't the cannabis industry helping them out? Like, a- and they do have lobbies. Like they do and they do, but it's not, it's not like Pharma. Like Pharma has like an entire building, right? Correct. Cannabis, cannabis <laughs> is like is like like one floor of one building,
0: right? Right. Right. Well, Matthew Zorn, I gotta thank you so much for being a part of Let's Be Black Montel today. You spitting truth like no tomorrow, my friend. And I'd love to have you back at some time. If ever you want to come back again, maybe I'll have you on with Sue. We can talk a little bit about how you guys started clicking or you know, whatever. I'd love to have you back on the show again.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, this this is great. I love I love being
0: able to freewheel a little bit. Absolutely, my friend. And 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 it's good for the industry to hear this, you know, not from just me screaming. I've been screaming the same thing you were you're were saying. I've been screaming at the top of my lungs at every convention I go to. Stop the fighting. Why are we so you know, so bent up on making sure that you get a yacht tomorrow. The yacht's going to come. There's more money in this industry than you could ever imagine. We haven't even, you know, reached the level of the Wright brothers pushing that wooden plane down a hill. And, you know, there's still jets to come. There are still, you know, uh, uh, 30,000 feet to come. So let's start looking toward the 30,000 feet rather than trying to push, you know, a wooden plane down a hill or a beach.
1: Yeah that's right and i guess my final point is like i'm rooting for this industry like i want this industry to succeed i'm just kind of shouting into a void here where i'm trying to basically say it happens to be that doing the right thing here might actually make you more money in like the run. like going out and doing the right thing actually supporting scientists supporting those people because i think that's more threatening to the system and is going to grab their attention more than squabbling over dollars and cents
0: absolutely you know i'm working with um Reggie Noble, Redman, who founded the NCP, the National Cannabis Party. Have you heard anything about that? No, I haven't. i got to get you some information about it because at least, you know, Redman has been really out there in the front trying his best. It finally got a federally sanctioned party. It's the NCP, National Cannabis Party, um, that is now trying to form, you know, uh, uh, um, branches in every state across the country. And I think if, in fact, we can do what we're set about doing, and that is trying to get this industry to come together. I think that might make a little difference.
1: And I, I, I really want that to happen. I think everyone benefits the moment
0: we all come together. Absolutely, sir. Well, look. Well, thank you again for being a part of the show. If anybody wanted to get more information, why don't you give out all of your your stats? Where did it go? What's your email and all that kind of stuff?
1: So, so I'm a partner at a firm called Yedder Coleman. Um, you can Google my name and Yedder Coleman and you'll get my firm bio. I also write on drug policy and, and drug regulation um, on a site called On Drugs. It's on, O-N-D-R-U-G-S dot substack dot com. So Google On Drugs in my name and you'll get that. And that's where if you ever want to look at all what Montel was talking about with all the documents on uh, folks that... Um, we're part of this. The federal government sanctioned marijuana program, you can get it all there. I got them all.
0: OK, great, sir. Thank you so much for being a part of the show. And that, maybe that is, that's where I'll end, though. But I mean, how does the federal government get away with the hypocrisy of coming out of their own mouth?
1: A bunch of convoluted, opaque legal doctrines that only well-educated lawyers can untangle. is the answer.
0: Got it. Got it, my friend. Well, thank you so much again for being a part of Let's Be Blunt with Montel today. And thank you for tuning in. Make sure you catch the full one hour with Matthew Zorn. Thanks for joining me on Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Please make sure you're subscribed and hit the bell to be notified when new episodes post each week. We'd love to hear your feedback also, so please send us your comments. Thanks for listening to today's show. Fuck out.